0: Welcome, I'm Sheila Murthy, President and Founder of the Murthy Law Firm. And I have with me two of my fantastic, brilliant Murthy Law Firm attorneys, Korzad Mehta and Jessica Lee. Korzad works primarily in the H-1B or non-immigrant department and Jessica in our green card department. Today's topic for our teleconference is prevailing wage determinations in the H-1B context and in the PERM or green card context. Well, since we're going to be discussing prevailing wage determinations, I thought it would obviously be helpful to briefly touch upon what exactly is the prevailing wage. Most of you know that we have to deal with the prevailing wage concept for H-1s and for green cards, and that that is generally the minimum wage that the employer agrees to pay in order for the USCIS or Department of Labor to process the H-1 petition or the green card case. The prevailing wage technically is the wage that is set forth for that particular occupational classification in the geographical area of employment. And it can apply either in the union context or in the non-union context. Where there is a union contract, it is really the wage that is contained in the contract, or if it is a non union contract or non union kind of position, it is the weighted average of wages paid to similar jobs, meaning that it has to be substantially comparable in the occupational classification in that geographic area of employment. In order for a proper H 1B or green card filing, the prevailing wage has to be determined at the time of filing of the lca or labor condition application for h1 petitions or the perm which is a permanent electronic review management or for the labor certification process of the green card so let's start with you Corzad, in the h1 context how is one able to determine the prevailing wage for the proffered position so that the employer can meet this test
1: thanks sheila for H 1B petitions in the H 1B context, the employer must determine the prevailing wage for the H 1B p- position prior to filing the LCA with the Department of Labor. The employer bases the prevailing wage on the best wage information at the time of filing the labor condition application. Prevailing wage can be determined uh, utilizing five different methods. Uh, number one, the H 1B employer may request the uh, Foreign Labor Certification National Processing Center make the prevailing wage determination. Now this is not a requirement in the H-1B context, but for the uh, PERM context and the green card context, it is mandatory that the m- employer determine the wage utilizing the Foreign Labor Certification um, National Processing Center. Uh, the second method to determine the prevailing wage in the H-1B concept uh, in the context is the Foreign Labor Certification Online Wage Library. Um, if there is a union agreement that is a, that is a part and parcel of the proffered position, uh, the rate set forth in the union agreement can be used to, to determine the prevailing wage. Uh, a survey conducted by an independent authoritative source or another legitimate, uh, legitimate source of wage information can also be utilized to determine the prevailing wage and finally, if it's a federally funded um, or assisted construction project or for certain government general subcontract general contractors or subcontractors, um, either the Davis-Bacon Act or the McNamara-O'Hara Service Contract Act can be used to determine the prevailing wage. Now, these are the five different ways that the prevailing wage can be determined, but the most commonly used source and the one that our clients come across most in the H-1B context is the um, DOL's FLC Wage Library. And I'd like to describe that uh, in a little bit more um, detail.
0: Sure. And I think most of our clients know or companies know what FLC stands for, but it's Foreign, Foreign Labor, Labor Certification, certification or OFLCs, the Office of Foreign Labor Certification. Okay, go ahead, Corazon So the, the wage
1: library, the, the Department of Labor's um, online wage library, uh, it contains prevailing wa- wages divided based on job categories and geographical areas. And these geographical areas are called metropolitan statistical areas, or MSAs. Job category is very, very broad, um, and multiple positions can fit into a job category. And how you fit into a particular job category is based not necessarily on the title, but actually on the job duties performed by the proffered position. A metropolitan statistical area is usually pretty straightforward, it's a census-designated Um, uh, area and it's based on the county or city of uh, intended employment. Now, within each job category or job classification, there are four different wage levels. And this is um, for each classification in each different metropolitan statistical area. And the wage levels are determined utilizing the following factors. Obviously, education, experience requested to to perform the job duties, Special skills that are required for those uh, for, to perform the duties outside of education experience, li- whether licensure or certification is required for the position, as well as whether the position requires supervisory duties. Generally speaking, the prevailing wage increases when the job requires an educational degree. Or experience or supervisory duties that are outside of what is normally required for the job, and the prevailing uh, the job classification in the online wage library um, and in O*NET, uh, which uh, will you know we can we can discuss in a different teleconference, Sheila, but um, you know it typically describes what is normally required for the job. Prev- prevailing wage. Um, is not determined by the level of education experience that the employee has and that's a very very important thing to understand it's not what the uh, what the employee has it is what the job requires so you know for example an employee may be very very highly educated more uh, has more education experience than that which is normally required by the position however just because the non citizen has the higher education Uh, then what is required for the position doesn't mean that the prevailing wage will be set on the basis of his enhanced education experience. It is based on the minimum requirements for the uh, proffered position.
0: Excellent. And we've seen this and actually used this uh, particular point to our advantage where the uh, investigators and auditors have sometimes come back and said to companies, you owe a whole lot, several hundreds of thousands of dollars in back wages. And we have uh, come up with the argument and counteracted the government uh, and the auditors and investigators saying, hey, you guys say that this is a level four wage or level four job, but we can tell you that this is a level one job or a level two job, and the salary should be so much lower. And that way, you know, we've saved literally several hundreds of thousands of dollars for even small size, mid sized companies with that argument, which... I thought was totally brilliant, Uh, don't just agree with the government on anything, you can counteract it, you can show your own evidence, because they can't have it both ways. On the one hand, the government can't say, well, you have to pay the highest at a level four wage, and on the other hand say, oh, no, no, it's not an EB-2 position, because it's really EB-3, because it's a very base-level programmer position. Thanks, So Now, going on to you, Jessica what exactly would be an independent authoritative source or another legitimate source that an employer can use to determine the prevailing wage? Because this is commonly used and of great interest to employers mm-hmm. because they really feel that the government wages are totally skewed and improper, and they want to go with a proper, neutral, authoritative source.
2: Right. Well, Sheila, that's exactly what um, this this is intended for. As Korzat said, there are different ways to get a prevailing wage and you know if you're not agreeing with the department of labor wages or what's on the onet you can look at a, an independent authoritative source wage source you know basically there's companies out there that do their own wage surveys and can give you a prevailing wage for a specific position in a specific location. So just in general, um, you have to be careful because these alternate uh, alternate or legitimate wage sources or independent authoritative sources have to meet certain criteria. And I'll give you some examples. For instance, it has to represent the latest published prevailing wage finding for the occupation in the area of intended employment. Generally, that's um, a, a survey that's been published for less than 24 months from the time that you're trying to use it, and that makes sense because you do want to know, you know, what the prevailing wage is now, not what was the prevailing prevailing wage was five years ago. Another criteria, for example, is that it must reflect the weighted average wage paid to the similar jobs in the area of intended employment. And you know, if they, there is no weighted average in the survey, you can also use the median wage. Um, And the source, for instance, also needs to be reasonable and consistent with the recognized standards and principles in producing a prevailing wage. So those are some criteria. There's others. Um, You know, if you're looking to use an alternate wage source, you know, definitely check with your attorney um, to make sure that it's going to be a legitimate wage source. Because the employer may be required to demonstrate that it is a legitimate wage source in the event of a DOL investigation. So it's very prudent to contact a competent immigration attorney just to make sure that your independent or other wage source will be accepted by the DOL.
0: Okay, great, great. So, Korsad, I mean, if the petitioner ends up paying the H-1B worker the Department of Labor, the prevailing wage, is that good enough?
1: Well, Sheila, it could be if, you know, certain criteria are, are met. Remember that H-1B regulations require that the employer pay not the prevailing wage and also not the actual wage, but the required wage. And I can define for you, Sheila, what the required wage is. The required wage is the higher of the actual wage or the prevailing wage. So in answer to your question, is paying the prevailing wage good enough? Sure, it could be if it is the higher of the actual wage and the prevailing wage and therefore the required wage. And just a clarification, the actual wage is? The actual wage, Sheila, is also sometimes known as the in-house wage rate. And it is the wage that is paid by the employer to all individuals with experience and qualifications similar to the H-1B worker for the specific job at a specific geographical, in a specific geographical area. And remember, that doesn't necessarily have to be one static wage number. That can be a range. The actual wage is established by the um, the actual wage established by the employer is not necessarily an average of the wage rates paid to all the employers employed in that in the occupation, and that's important to realize. Um, if there are no similarly employed workers, if the H one B worker is one of a kind, and we like to think all our H one B workers are one of a kind, but if truly the non citizen who is filling the position is the sole individual in that Position, then the offered wage is the, uh, and, and the wage paid is the actual wage for that worker. A prevailing wage determination done for a labor condition application does not allow an employer to pay a wage lower than that required under any other applicable federal, state, or local law.
0: Aha, uh-huh. so meaning that if there's a minimum wage, that has nothing to do with it. It's basically the actual the prevailing wage that has to be paid because or the higher of the actual wage of the prevailing wage. That's correct. Okay and in terms of the employer's responsibilities relating to wage determinations in the H-1B petition each of you as company representatives as HR managers directors or owners CEOs of the companies realize that by signing the LCA in connection with an H-1B filing you as the employer is attesting, and remember, it's all under penalty of perjury, signed under oath, that for the entire period of the H-1B employment, the required wage rate will be paid to the H-1B non-immigrant employee. And even if the employee ends up in being on a bench in nonproductive status due to any kind of a decision by the employer because of lack of project, lack of permit, lack of license, um, even lack of social security number, bench time, et cetera, the employer is required to pay the wage rate as per the H-1B petition signed under oath. The only possible exception that may apply is if the employee requests personal unpaid time off to deal with a family medical crisis, family you know, kind of basis, a spouse who's pregnant, parents who are dying ill, whatever, then maybe, maybe, and you really do need to speak to a lawyer to make sure that you as the employer will not be held liable, uh, where the employee says, oh, I didn't request that time, the employer forced me to take it. And that's what we see a lot of the times happening. So you as an employer, as a company, wants to be very careful and cautious that you do not jeopardize your status as an employer, and you protect yourself, the company, and all of your other employees by doing the right thing and following laws and regulations. Great. So now that that's the H-1B context, we're going to move on to the green card context. Jessica, in the green card context, when is the prevailing wage required to be obtained and filed, and how does that work?
2: Absolutely, okay. So in the green card context, it is a little different than the H-1B context. In H-1B, as we learned, that you know you do need to find the prevailing wage before filing that labor condition application. When you're working with the green card context, you need to get an actual determination, so prevailing wage determination, from the Department of Labor prior to filing the labor cert application. So you do actually have to file a form ETA-9141 with the Department of Labor's um, OFLC's um, National Processing Center. And you have to get that submitted and determined before you can move forward with your green card application. So the PWD, which is the prevailing Wage Determination, may be filed electronically or by mail. Um, We always like to file it electronically because there's less room for error when the person at the NPC center receives it and then has to do data entry. There's just less room for error, so we like to file it electronically. Um, and right now, it's taking about six weeks to process. In the beginning, um, it was taking about eight weeks, but they're, they're working on it, and so we're seeing – um, prevailing wage determinations come back six weeks or even a little sooner. Um, so absolutely important to get the PWD before um, moving forward with your PERM case. But once the PWD is received, um, you as the employer, make sure, you have to make sure to um, include the prevailing wage information, such as the, you know, what the prevailing wage is, the tracking number, the SOCO net code, the occupation title, the skill level, wage source, determination date, an expiration date, you have to include all that information into your labor cert perm application before filing.
0: Sounds very difficult and onerous, <laughs> but I guess you guys do it all the time, and you've become we total pros at it. Fabulous. So how is the prevailing wage determined by the National Processing Center?
1: Well, Sheila, the National Processing Processing Center determines the appropriate prevailing wage by looking first to see if there's a collective bargaining agreement and you know, That's a euphemism for a union agreement, and euphemism means synonym, which means same, um, you know, for the position, if any. If there is no collective bargaining agreement slash union agreement, the prevailing wage is calculated by the arithmetic mean of the wages of workers similarly employed in the area of intended employment across different industries that have this particular job uh, classification as part of their roles. National Processing Center typically and in I would say ninety nine point nine percent of the cases derives this info directly from the Department of Labor's Office of Foreign Labor Certification Wage Library, which we just discussed at length a few minutes ago. The National Processing Center uses the Department of Labor's wage library data un- uh, but unless the provider provides uh, unless the employer provides an acceptable survey alternative wage survey, like um, Jessica was just talking about a few minutes ago, or if there's a current wage determination in the area under the Davis-Bacon Act or the McNamara-O'Hara Service Contract Act if the job is a subject of a, um, of a, uh, of a uh, government contract. In each case where the employer submits a survey or other wage data, the employer must provide the national processing center with enough information about the survey methodology to allow the national processing center to make a determination on the adequacy of the data. And we went over what the um, what the what the requirements are for independent authoritative sources when Jessica spoke just a few minutes ago. The prevailing wage for an employee of an institution of higher education or a nonprofit entity affiliated with an institution of higher education. Or a nonprofit research organization, or a governmental research organization, is a little bit different. In those for for jobs filed by those types of employers, in those cases, the prevailing wage is taken into account for uh, based on information for wages paid only at those institutions and those or, those organizations in the area of intended employment. So they don't go into all the different uh, industries as I just uh, described in the other context. When it's, a, when it's this particular type of petitioner or business, the wages are, come from this particular business's pool.
0: Okay, fantastic. And just as a clarification, when you heard Jessica now explain that when we file the PERM, when you as an employer or a company files the PERM labor certification application for the green card, in addition to all of the information, we also have to provide the expiration date. And when issuing the prevailing wage determination, the National Processing Center will actually specify the validity period of the prevailing wage, which by law and regulations, it cannot be less than 90 days, nor more than one year from the date of determination. And so it's very, very important for your employer, for you as the employer, for your attorney or whoever is working with you all, to check that the prevailing wage is not expiring, because if it's expired and then you file your PERM, After waiting a year, year and a half in the audit, your whole case is denied. It's going to go into the trash. Your employee is mad. You lose a priority date. You lose everything. So you need to be sure because in some cases, the prevailing wage is valid 90 days. In other cases, it's valid for a whole year. And when you submit the prevailing wage determination along with the perm, it has to be valid. It cannot be expired at that time. Okay, so as the employer, when can the employer start the advertisements? For the labor certification application, does it have to be before obtaining the prevailing wage determination or after, Corzad?
1: Well, Sheila, it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, depending on what, what, what kind of situation you're in. If the recruitment effort started before the prevailing wage determination was issued by the National Processing Center, then the PERM case, the labor certification case, must be filed during the validity of the prevailing wage determination. And if it's not filed during the validity of the prevailing wage determination, then the U.S. Department of Labor will not accept it. Alternatively, if the employer starts the recruitment during the prevailing wage determinations validity period, the PERM case can be filed um, regardless of if the prevailing wage determination expires. However, obviously, as with every case, the PERM, the labor certification, must be filed while the recruitment is still fresh or valid. And fresh recruitment, valid recruitment, is typically that recruitment which is less than 180 days old. an employer may start their ads before the prevailing wage determination is received. We just mentioned that. However, the employer must be aware that if the ads or notice or the notice of posting, for example, includes a wage rate which is lower than the prevailing wage that is ultimately determined by the National Processing Center, the employer will have to repost the ads or, and or the notice of posting, thereby incurring cost. Um, advertisements are not cheap. Uh, the employer may never make an offer to a non-citizen employee which is lower than the prevailing wage
0: okay okay and Jessica can the employer use the exact prevailing wage the same one for more than one application for multiple employees etc
2: definitely definitely Sheila you you can reuse the same prevailing wage determination but i do caution everyone to be really careful because uh, you know if the prevailing wage is still Valid as we, as, as Sheila was just talking a, a minute ago, um, you know, then that's great. You can use it. But another few things that you have to think about is that um, the prevailing wage needs to be for that same exact occupation, the same skill level, and um, the same wage sources applicable. And the job needs to be in the same area of intended employment. So basically, it needs to be exactly the same. Um, or else you you shouldn't use a prevailing wage determination. Because the last thing you want to do is file a perm case based on a prevailing wage that is not going to be um, valid, know, valid or, or yeah, useful.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So I know a lot of times employers tell me and when we're having consultations or discussions, I really don't believe this is the real prevailing wage. The government has inflated it. It's ridiculous. That is not what I know is the industry norm. Basically, if you, if you, as an employer, is not happy with the prevailing wage that you receive from the Office of Foreign Labor Certifications National Processing Center, what can the employer do in such a case? Well,
1: there are a number of things you can do, Sheila, as an employer. Um, number one, if you get the, if you get the wage and uh, it is uh, not satisfactory, you can supply, as an employer, you can supply supplemental information uh, to see if the national processing center will agree with your contention and reissue the prevailing wage prevailing wage determination. So, what can that supplemental information be? Independent authoritative sources upon which the uh, wage uh, offered was initially set for the uh, for the job for the proffered job or the offered job. Um, if if that's not um, possible, or if you know if if the employer is not not um, inclined to do that, the employer can always file a new request for a prevailing wage determination, or they can request review of the prevailing wage determination from the director of the National Processing Center and subsequently appeal the prevailing wage determination to the Board of Alien Labor Certification Appeals. Uh, the, The National Processing Center will typically consider one supplemental submission about uh, the employers, uh, uh, which, con- which contains information about the employer's uh, survey or the skill level that they use to assign the wage and that the, N- that the National Processing Center assigned to the job o- opportunity. If the employer desires a review of the prevailing wage determination from the National Processing Center director, that request for review must be made within 30 days from the date that the National Processing Center issues the prevailing wage determination. And if the director of the National Processing Center is still not going to give a satisfactory answer, then the employer, if they wish, can request review of the director's Determination from the Board of Alien Labor Certification Appeals. However, they must also make that request within 30 days of the director's determination.
0: That's interesting. So, and how I guess most employers and employees are in the meanwhile panicking because you don't have your priority date, you haven't filed a case. How long do all of these appeals go around back and forth and back and forth?
2: Well, we've actually seen um, an appeal or actually, well, a review of a prevailing wage determination actually come back within two weeks. Um, but not all of them are that quick. And are they usually
0: favorable or unfavorable? You know, the ones from our
2: office have been favorable. Um, we actually had a situation where the prevailing wage that we received from the NPC was incorrect. It was actually about $31,000 higher than the highest level for wage on the OES. And so we received it, and we just had question marks as to where the NPC even got this information. And so, of course... Um, because although the prevailing wage is issued by the NPC, the DOL does hold the employers responsible for the wage stated on the um, labor certification regardless of if the prevailing wage was issued by ARIS. So it is your responsibility as the employer to review the prevailing wage and make sure that it's correct. So in this case, we went ahead and again within 30 days, requested for a review, we we submitted supplemental information to show why the wage was incorrect and you know what? We got it back within two
0: weeks. That's fabulous. It's always good to hear wonderful success stories, but I guess that's what we end up doing all the time and trying to save time, money, and effort and energy for our clients. So what if the prevailing wage that is received from NPC was incorrect? Uh, I guess you've already sort of kind of answered that whole issue. Right,
2: yes. Yeah, st- like, mm-hmm. like I said, if it's incorrect or incomplete, it's still the employer's responsibility to, you know, go back and have the NPC review it or, you know, file a new, like, I was saying, file a new request. Or if you've already, you know, requested a review and you still don't agree with um, the director of the, of, of, uh, the NPC, then appeal it to Balka.
0: Okay, fabulous, well, fabulous. Uh, well, um, I know we're always very cognizant of the time involved. We always try to stay between the 30 to 40 minute time frame for you as busy, busy employers in the middle of your day. Uh, but really, again, as the employer, you are responsible for paying the prevailing wage, both in the H1B and in the green card context. And in the green card context, the employer is required to pay the employee the wage stated in the labor certification application. Which again, as has been explained by both Corzad and Jessica, cannot be lower than the prevailing wage at the time the employee is employed by the employer. And no later, the wage has to be paid. Even though green card is based on the concept of a future job offer, the salary absolutely, the prevailing wage cannot be paid later than when the employee's I-485 application is approved by the USCIS. And often I tell people when I'm asked that question, why can't I wait till my 485 is approved to get to pay the higher wage? My answer is it's a chicken or the egg syndrome. You can't say, because they're like, how come you're not paying it now when at the time of filing it? How come you're not paying it now? Because you, as the employer, we have to show good faith at the start of the process, during the process, at the end of the process. And again, as I always point out to people, both employer and employee are signing documents under penalty of perjury. And although it is legally permissible to employ the employee in the proffered position and not pay the required wage, the U.S. Department of Labor, the USCIS, at the I-140 approval time does look at the employer's ability to pay right from the date of filing the labor certification or the date of the establishment of the priority date. And therefore, it's obviously certainly advisable to pay that wage right from up front in the beginning As it clearly shows ability to pay, clearly shows the employer's good faith intention and bona fides of offering and paying the prevailing wage. You know, what's so fascinating about today's discussion is we spent a little over 30 minutes just explaining one little issue of the entire green card or H1 process, just the topic of prevailing wage. And it is just amazing the nuances and the complexities that exist in the world of immigration law. And each of you who's attending today's teleconference obviously wants to be smart and sharp and creative and protect yourselves and your companies. That's why you're so savvy and you're such successful business people. Um, And we see that and we're honored to continue to guide and mentor and help you all as you continue to process H1s and green cards in this tough economic climate. As always, we at the Murthy Law Firm would be honored to help you and your company continue to succeed and thrive and be successful. Thank you so much for participating in today's call. On behalf of Corzat, Jessica, myself, and our entire Murthy Law Firm team, we really look forward to helping you and your company with all your immigration processing. You know you can save money by doing it right the first time. We can save time, and we can help you to continue to succeed. Thanks a million, and have a wonderful rest of the day. Bye.